Matthew chapter 5, if you'll get your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 5 and put that up on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, I want to preach something that I have preached before. And, uh, and in fact, this is a basic message to the entire the ministry God's given me over the years. And I tell you something, if you get a hold of this, it'll help you. I don't know what God will do with it, but it'll help you. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Matthew, they're passing a deal out that has this on it. And if you have a pen or something, I want you to do this. Now, I want you to focus on the Word of God. I want you to focus on this message. Don't let anything distract you if you can help it. And uh, But I'll tell you something, I appreciate everybody being here today. I appreciate all the babies and all the new babies. And pray for those that, uh, you know, having some rough times right now concerning that matter. Anyway, uh, the, Jesus Christ is beginning his ministry here in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, and he begins it with the Sermon on the Mount, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. As I said, it's a foundational message of Jesus Christ. It's the first message uh, to populations at large, and it lays the foundation of the uh, Christian experience. It records the start of your Christian life in Christ and the cyclic nature of your journey in the Lord Jesus Christ. You could say that as a Christian, you're just going around in circles. <laughs> but there's a beauty to it, and that is that the further you go, the bigger your circle gets. Amen. Now, at the end of chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, you are the light of the world. Okay? The whole, everything he says up to that point is to show us how we are light and how to be light. I want to say, how many know somebody that used to be in church and you believed with all your heart they were saved, but they're not in church any longer? Anybody know anybody like that? Raise your hand right up. If you do, if you honestly do, raise your hand. Okay. Look around you. And it's probably if people really thought about it, it'd be a lot more than that. Let me say something today and I'll jump out a little bit. Not everybody that's not in church today somewhere is lost. They got hurt. They got wounded. And also things happened to them that they did not understand that would happen to them as a Christian. And I'm going to use a term today called kicking out. Now, I don't, that's the best old hillbilly phrase I know to use. And so think about it. Many of these people were saved. They legitimately were saved. Now, the Bible also says they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. But they went out. They might be manifested, but they were not all of us. That's a mouthful. <laughs> there are some who claim that are not. Okay. But I believe with all my heart, there are people out here are not in church today that were saved. They, they just kicked out of the cycle and didn't understand what's going on and still haven't figured it out. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you right now, hadn't been for the grace of God, it would be exactly where I'd be at. In fact, even to this day, if I didn't get what I got out of this message, out of this truth, this foundational truth of, of the Sermon on the Mount, I would, I would not be in the ministry. And I will make a prediction to you that if I don't keep it four years from now, I could be out. All right, and Satan wants that. And I, we'll look at that this morning now. This is a pathway of blessings. It's a pathway of blessings. Uh, Jesus Christ, there, there's eight, by the way, there's eight basic blessings here. And eight is a number of new beginning. There is a ninth uh, blessing, which is combined with the eighth. Eight's a number of resurrection, a new beginning. Keep that in mind. Nine's a number of the Holy Ghost. When Jesus closed out his ministry, this is the beginning of it. When he closed out his ministry, he gave eight cursings. Woe unto you. Woe unto you. What, Matthew chapter 23. He began it with eight blessings. The last blessing is what I'm going to preach on, the double blessing. Now, if you ask everybody in the world, do you want a blessing? <laughs> I'll take all the blessing I can get. But most people really don't know what God means when he says blessing. So we're going to take off here, and I want you to just read, we're just going to read. Seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and was set, his disciples came unto him. I don't know what you'd all do if I sat down while I preach, but I may have to someday. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and here begins these blessings. And now if God says that these things are blessings, they are blessings, whether you and I understand it or not. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The sixth blessing in verse number eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The seventh blessing, verse number nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And then all of a sudden things change. In verse number 10, blessed are they which are persecuted, this is the eighth blessing, for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Then verse number 11, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad about what? That people reviled you, persecuted you, that tough times came. That rough stuff came because of your faith in Christ, because of following these Beatitudes. He said, rejoice and be exceeding glad for your greatest reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which are before you. Ye are. Now, as a result of these eight Beatitudes being lived through the life of the child of God, he said, if these things are in your life, then you become salt. You don't become salt, just salt. Because you're necessarily saved. Yeah, to a certain extent. But if you really want to be salt and you really want to be the light that God ordained for us to be, we have to go through the Beatitudes. That's, that's the culmination of the Beatitudes. You are the salt of the earth. And then he says something. If the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. And by the way, that's what the average lost person looks at the average church today. If you were to knock on their door and go, what's the churches in your town good for? They go, I don't know. Isn't that a pathetic statement? But they really, they don't know what we're good for. Good for nothing. (laughs) But to be cast, watch this, cast out and trodden underfoot. That's what's happening to the church in America. The church, be honest with the church isn't, be truthful, they're not feeding the poor, they're not taking care of the sick. I mean, we're going to church and we're building big stuff. But are we really being salt and light to this nation? I mean, we've been told that we shouldn't enter the political process. Shut up. Keep it all inside the church house. That we shouldn't take our faith into our workplace. You know, keep quiet. That we certainly shouldn't take it into educational systems. Absolutely not. So we cease being salt and light. He said in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. But on a candlestick and he giveth light unto all that are in the house. Verse 16, here's the culmination of having the Holy Ghost live the Beatitudes through us. Now, by the way, the Beatitudes are not something that you can up one morning and say, you know, I'm just going to live the Beatitudes. Try it. (laughs) It ain't going to happen on your fleshly energy. You have to have the power of the Holy Ghost living through you to produce the Beatitudes in you. And you say, I mean, let's just ask ask yourself, would I really honestly like to be blessed of God? Would I really honestly want God's blessing in my life? He's going to give you nine ways. The ninth is the double blessing that your life could be blessed. And so look at that. Now he says, uh, he said, verse 16, that your light may so shine before men. They may see your good works. Not what you talk, but your good works. And these works are not given to United Way. They are the good works that's listed in the Beatitudes. There's a difference between what the world calls good works and what God calls good works. Now, he said, so basically what he's saying is, if you live, let me live through you by the power of the Spirit, these Beatitudes, you will be salt and you will be light. And by the way, can I ask you something? Salt sometimes burns. Salt purifies. Salt, Salt gets the rot out. Salt kills the, that salt is an old medicine. Light sometimes blinds. Light sometimes exposes. What does it mean? Oh, I'm light and I'm salt. Not necessarily. I'm salt. Yeah. I'm light. Yeah. You're exposing all the rot. You're exposing all the sin. Shut up. See, being salt and light is not everything everybody cracks it up to be sometimes. It's a lot different when you really think it through. Now, but it is the pathway to being blessed. So we're going to look at the first one. Now, here we go. Now, watch this here. In my little drawing, you can do this on yours. We're going to have coloring class here, okay? (laughs) This little deal right here where lines just go everywhere, that's a picture of you and I when we were lost. We were in darkness. We were wandering, drifting. We didn't know where we was at in this world, why we were here. But God brought the gospel to us. The Holy Ghost brought conviction of sin. We heard the gospel, how that Christ died in our place for our sin and shed his blood, was the perfect sacrifice and substitute for our sin. And by faith in him, we could be saved. But to, uh, listen to me. But we didn't just say a little prayer and then go back to the bar. Right. Hey, can I tell you something? I got more respect 
for the worst bar in Wright County than I do for churches that bring the bar room music in it. I got more respect for the drunks than I do for the preachers having this junk in there. You can take that and do with it what you want to. But at least they're not pretending. Anyway, you were brought to repentance. Brokenness. And this is number one. Watch your text. Blessed are the poor in spirit for what? What does it say? What does it say? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They got saved. Poor in spirit is a salvation verse. What does poor in spirit means? Get this. Don't ever forget this. It means you came to the place where you realized that you were bankrupt before God, that you had nothing to pay your sin debt with and could never get nothing to pay your sin debt with. And you'll never be good enough and you'll never do enough right things and you'll never get baptized enough and you'll never go to church enough and you'll never give enough and you'll never do anything. You, you are bankrupt. I never got saved till I realized I was bankrupt spiritually. And I walked into the bankruptcy court of Almighty God, fell on my knees and said, God, I don't have nothing to pay my sin debt with. God said, that's exactly where I want you. And by the way, you can say what you want to. This is the Bible. Until you get there, you're not saved. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you went through. Until you come to your spiritual bankruptcy, that you don't have nothing to offer God and never will have nothing to offer. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith in what Jesus Christ, the substitute and sacrifice for our sin. And so bankrupt spiritually means we don't have anything. It's a salvation verse. That means there's no merit. They have a debt we can't pay. Nothing to pay it with. I can't be good enough for God. And we realized at that point that we need God's grace and God's mercy. When I walked into the court of God's bankruptcy court, I just said, God, all I can ask for is mercy. God and grace have mercy upon me. That's when, the, when those two men went to church and the one strutted himself about all that he did. The other man smote his breast and bowed his head and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Bible said he went to his house justified rather than the other. And until you, you may have been, you may have been, been going to this church for 30 years, but until you realize that you are spiritually bankrupt, that you have nothing to buy acceptance and reconciliation with God, you are lost. You are lost. Long as you think that there's a 10% of you is going to get you to heaven, you're lost. It's all Christ. Whole Christ. What religion does always add some. Oh, they won't take Christ out of the picture, but they're going to add all this stuff. See, I want to ask you this morning. Have you ever been, you ever realized your spiritual bankruptness? Have you ever saw that? You see, the cross means nothing to a man. Christ's blood means nothing to a person who doesn't know their spiritual bankrupt. And so what this is, the fact that you owed a debt that you couldn't pay, and Jesus paid a debt that he didn't owe. Yeah. And that's salvation. <laughs> Substitution. That, by the way, that was the whole message from Adam and Eve clear to the cross. Right. When, when God took the skins and he killed an innocent substitute in place, instead of Adam and Eve dying, the animal died. The substitute died. And then all the offerings all the way through the Old Testament were a picture of the one who would come, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. They were a picture. And the whole message was to Adam and Eve and everybody since and everybody till is that you are spiritually bankrupt. You don't have what it takes to satisfy the just demands of the Holy God. And only Christ satisfies those demands and you're bankrupt. Most Christian people, professing Christians in America, they don't see themselves as spiritually bankrupt. They think they're good people. Now let's go to the next. So the first one is this. You got saved. Conviction came. So number one is you came down and you got saved. That's blessing number one. Is is it not a blessing to be saved? Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right. Now here's number two. You start now. You're saved. You have eternal life, right? And you're on your journey. All right, now, here we go. Here's the next thing God has. If you want to be salt and light, here it is. Now, this is a cycle of life. I'm going to tell you something. I've been saved 40 years plus now. And I don't know how many times I've been through this cycle, but I'd say somewhere around seven to eight times. And this year was the worst cycle I've ever had in my life. The toughest cycle I've ever went through was this year. And I think 40 years, 40 is the number of testing in the Bible. 40 years, 40 days in the wilderness. 40 is the number of testing. Now, Lord, I sure hope I can get into 2023 and get past this 40th year. 
but you're going to have it. So here, what's the next thing? Second blessing. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning has to do with godly sorrow over sin. If, if you've really been saved, my guess is that you never realized how wicked you were till about 10 years after you got saved. I mean, until you got in the book and really started reading the Bible and hearing the Word of God taught and hearing the Word of God, you didn't realize how wicked you were. But here's the key. Anybody, let me tell you something. You, you don't come popping bubble gum up to, uh, up to Jesus Christ. I'm going to be saved. Amen. This is not a nightclub. He's talking about repentance here. And without repentance, he said, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Any preacher tells you that you don't need to repent or line out their teeth, they're a false prophet, get away from them. And by the way, repentance is not a work that you do. It's the goodness of God, the grace of God that leads you to repentance. He changes you and makes you see your sin for what it is. It's a, look, when, when repentance comes, it, your sins and my sins are not little ants crawling around the floor of the church. They're great big elephants coming down the hallway and you see your sin before an almighty God and you say oh my God I've sinned against you and you mourn can I tell you something if I sin against Karen I ought to have a mourning attitude about that much less God almighty and by the way when you get saved you don't quit mourning in fact if it is and I'm not he said God by the way what's it say the blessing is if you blessed are they mourn for what boy I'm going to tell you what ticks me off is you going to average Bible college in America? Everybody thinks, man, to get me a Bible counseling degree. I want to tell you something right now. You, you straighten me out the judgment seat. We don't need these pills. We don't need these counselors. We don't need all this marriage. I'm telling you right now, you know the best marriage counselor you'll ever get is a good old-fashioned dose of honesty about how sorry and low down and wicked and mean you've been and stubborn and bullheaded and selfish. Yes. You know what? You know what kind of pill you need is a gospel. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you something right now. You know why America is mentally in a boozoo land? Because they do not mourn. They don't come before God and say, God, "Behold, when David sinned with Bathsheba, he went a whole year. God waiting on him to mourn and repent. He wouldn't do it." God sending the Samuel. Samuel gives him that parable. Show you what David, the whole 51st Psalms is David flowing out the goodness of God in repentance. And he said this, behold, thou desires truth in the inward parts. You know what God said? Get honest with yourself. Quit lying about your sin. Quit justifying your sin. Quit blaming everybody else. Quit rationalizing. Quit comparing yourself to everybody else. And get honest. You sinned. Amen. And then realize this, I sinned against the holy God. And I'm going to tell you something, the Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, if you haven't read it in a long time, you ought to read it. But he talks about a worldly sorrow that brings death. And this is what's going on. You get this worldly sorrow, I'll tell you, it'll make you want to kill yourself. Mark it down. But you get a godly sorrow that comes to God Almighty and says, Lord, I've sinned against you. I'm talking about when you're, can I tell you something? Listen, don't look up at me like I'm somebody. I've been on my knees this morning asking God to forgive me and cleanse me and wash me from the sins that I've committed this week. Yes. I'm not walking in here acting like I need a high priest. Amen. Don't let any preacher tell you he's some kind of holy sectimonious bag of bones out of heaven. Yes. We all need a high priest every day. And until we get honest about it, you know why a lot of preachers ain't got no power? And you know why they ain't got nothing happening of God and they've got to jimmy it all up in the flesh? It's because they won't even be honest about their own sin. They want everybody else to be right, but not them get right. Not them say, God, I have sinned against you. You know why David was a man after God's own heart? For that reason right there. David sinned worse than nearly all of them, but his attitude was different. He had a godly sorrow. He sinned against thee and thee only have I sinned. You want comfort? You don't need a counselor's bench. Get out there in the woods somewhere and get on your face and get honest with God and say, Lord, I've been wicked as hell itself. I've been greedy. I've been covetous. I've had immoral thoughts going through my mind like a freight train. I've been jealous. Start getting honest with God. That's right. Amen. You know what God will do? The comforter. 
The Holy Ghost will come and put his hand on you. And say, that's what you've been needing all along is honesty in your heart. You don't need Reggie. You don't need pills. You don't need that. You need me. And you can get up and go to bed at night and you can get up and go to work and your conscience is clear before the Lord and you're not putting on possum church junk anymore. You know what some of your problem is? You know why some of you won't be here two years from now, five years from now? It's because you are not doing this. You are not doing this. You're putting the dog on. You're walking into church, walking out. You're adamant toward your neck as stiff as as a piece of steel and you will not admit that you need that you need forgiveness of sin. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. You want comfort? I'm not talking. You know, the world needs southern comfort. (laughs) You know what the marijuana deal is all about? Human human comfort. Man, I'll tell you what, I get a joint of that marijuana. I just forget about everything. Be carrying me out this time, Alan. <laughs> That's what marijuana's about. Yeah. Looking for a source of comfort apart from God. Right. Oh, I know you got your patch out there. My patch did pretty good this year. I don't know about yours. <laughs> you want comfort? Hey, I mean, is comfort a blessing or not? Being comforted is a blessing. You know what? I don't. I don't. I'd like to have your comfort. But you, I got a place to get comfort if nobody in this church comforts me. Amen. There is a place of comfort. Amen. Number three. Let's look at the next. We've got to run. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So now here's what's going on. Watch this. You got saved. Then you came to number two. What was number two? You learned to mourn. Here you were broken in spirit. You were bankrupt. Got saved. God, t- being, this deal about blessed are they that mourn is about having a right attitude about sin and dealing with it. Yeah. Having a right attitude about it, not justifying. So number three, what's the third beatitude? Blessed huh? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are what? Meek. Blessed are the meek. Now, to listen to a lot of guys, you just think that it said blessed are the weak. I'm going to tell you right now, meek is not weak. And you boys don't ever forget this. Meek, weak, meekness is strength. I'll show you in the Bible, meekness is strength. But meekness in its foundational definition means that you've yielded your rights to everything. Blessed are the meek, for they shall do what? Inherit the earth. Somebody says, well, that's just nice sounding religious talk. No, it's not. You and I, as Christians, are going to inherit the earth. We just talked about millennial reign. But let me give you something bigger than that. Or, powerful. There's a man named Abraham, father of faith, always pay attention to what he's doing, what he's saying. Abraham had a nephew named Lot, right? Lot grew up. My guess is that Abraham gave him his first donkey of whatever they had. I don't know that. That'd be my guess. What What do you have? He brings his nephew with him. Feeds him, raises him. Lot gets grown up. He's got this big herd of cattle. The herdsmen strive one against the other. All right? Having trouble. Yeah. Now you watch a meek man, yeah. a man who's got meekness. If they'd been Reg Kelly, I said, hey, Lot, yeah, we need to have a meeting. <laughs> I'll tell you something, boy. I'll give you the first calf you ever had. Your herdsmen would give my herd about the water and the grass around here. I'll tell you what you do. You get out of Dodge. You find you another country to raise your cattle in. Out. I'm going to whoop your eye. That's weakness. Here's what, here's what Abraham did. Lot need to talk. Having trouble. Let there be no strife between us. Amen. For we be brethren. Now that's high sound and talk without the last of that verse. That's just high sound and talk. But see, his words match his deeds. And he said this. If you take the left... I'll take the right. If you take the right, I'll take the left. He said, Lot, we be brethren. People are watching us. It's a reproach on our Lord for brethren to be into it like this. And I don't want that. And I'm not going to demand my way about it. And here's a dangerous thing. Pay attention. The Bible says Lot lifted up his eyes. Uh Uh-huh. 
toward the well-watered plains of Sodom. And let me tell you, I've been there. You know what he saw? He saw the markets, he saw the bottom ground, and he saw the river bottoms. Best ground in the country with the markets where the money was flowing. Everything I raise and produce, I'll have a ready market right there. Besides, that's pretty down there. I think I'll build a home in town and a vacation home out on the river. And Lot said, thanks, Abram. I'll take that. Abraham said, okay. Then you have Genesis 15. Unbel- the, next, uh, the next thing, Genesis 15. You know what God tells Abraham? And I can just, it's almost like the Holy Ghost is silent for just a minute. God came, and it's almost like Abraham was looking down and he's seen the best, you know, ground and country. I mean, it's kind of like us hillbillies. We got left with the rocks. Amen. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. I'm glad my mom and dad didn't move to California back in the 30s and the 50s. I'm glad my grandparents didn't move to California. I'm glad they grounded out here in these rocks. That's just me. I am. If I took you to where my great-grandma and my grandma lived, and the way they lived, and some of yours the same way, you wouldn't believe it. But it's almost like Abraham, if I can, again, I try to imper- in, in put myself in place like, okay, Lord, I did what I was supposed to do. I gave up my right. right. And he takes the best land. Yeah. I try to do what's right. He, he, he gobbles up the best crops, best land. And I can hear the devil saying, Abram, it doesn't pay to serve God. This is how it turns out. Yeah. And then it's like God comes and taps him on the shoulder. Abram. I, God said, am thy exceeding great reward. He said, now, watch this. Now, Abraham, you lift up your eyes. Lot lifted up his, but now you lift up yours. And he said, I want you to look northward. And I want you to look southward. And I want you to look eastward and and westward. Whoop, east and westward. And you know what he said? All thou seest will I give thee. Guess who wound up with all that land that Sodom and Gomorrah was on after it burned up. Abraham. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Now that's fine Bible accounts but what about when my wife doesn't have my socks and underwear washed? Is there any socks on the place? Oh come on don't act spiritual me. I got any t-shirts left on the county? <laughs> Some of you wives. What am I going to have to do? Call the National Guard to mow the yard? <laughs> you know, those other folks at church, they were just all the time talking about how he takes her out supper every week. They have a date night. We ain't had a date in six years. <laughs> And every day of our life, now watch this, bless the meek for they shall inherit your earth. In other words, the things you fighting for, you're going to lose. And the things you give up, the, you yield your right to, you'll gain. Yep. That's what it is. That's innate, that God's ways are not our ways, thought are not our thoughts. I I, I, if I wanted to this morning, I'd stop and say, all right, we're going to have a discussion here today. What is it you think you have a right to that your spouse has not been doing? Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> In all of the... <laughs> Hang on just a minute. There's a difference between rights and responsibilities, but they're tied together. All right, hang on. Well, uh, let me say this first of all. Jesus, the, one of the only descriptions of Jesus' inner character is given in the Bible. It says he was meek and lowly. You don't hardly read anything else about his inward character except that he was meek and lowly. Did you know this? Watch this. Hey, he gave up his right to pleasure. He gave up his right to marriage. He gave up his right for children. He gave up his right to have a home. He gave up his right to have a business. He gave up his right to make a lot of money. His whole life was meekness. He had a right to worship. He gave up that right. Can I tell you something right now? He has a right to your worship, your devotion, to be first in your life. But he yields that because he operates out of love. And if you don't do that out of love, he yielded 
I mean, just constantly yielded. Right. I, I, you say, well, don't I have any rights? Yeah, you do. For instance, let me throw this at you. Watch this. And we're going to get into this when we study about the devil a little bit more. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Forget it right. It talks, there's any time in your Bible, especially in the epistles, when it names Satan by name, you're going to really perk up your ears. Because the Holy Ghost is telling you something about satanic and spiritual warfare. And it talks about the husband and wife. Benevol- rendering due benevolence one to another. For the husband's body is not his own. Yield right. Wife's not her own. Yield right. And it talks about if you uh, come apart only for a time with consent and agreement, for fasting and prayer. Why? That Satan tempts you not for your incontinency, your lack of self-control. More marriages get into trouble right here because there's both rights to each other's bodies, but there's also responsibility to exercise due deference. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get that right, if you, don't, if you and I do not yield our rights, we're going to have big, big trouble in a lot of areas of our life. If you think you've got a right to make a lot of money, who told you that? If you think you've got a right to all this stuff, I've got a right to this, and I've got a right to that, and I've got a, oh, you really? Well, I can't where that came from, the Laodicean church yeah. in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus gave up his right to pleasure, right to marriage. He gave up his right to approval, appreciation, acceptance, love, respect. He gave up his right to financial gain. He gave up a right to a career in materialism. He gave up his right to carnal pursuits, to home, family, children, to be understood, to be liked. By the way, Moses was called the most meek man in the Bible. Boy, I tell you, you talking about a good city, that's one. And Abraham there. The truth about it is, I don't have rights. I have responsibilities. So I said, well, my spouse doesn't treat me right. So what's your responsibility to that? Didn't you go up there and say, no matter what she turns into, <laughs> no matter what he turns into, isn't that what you said, till death do you part? You didn't say till she didn't give me my rights. Doesn't she know I got a right to have ham and beans sitting on the table when I come in? Does anybody get any supper around this place? Because you're fighting for your rights, you're never happy. Oh, we got to run. Blessed are you. Make it, for, for what's it say there? Anybody know what I did? My, there it is right here. Does anybody know where I'm at? Anyway. Meek, for they shall inherit here. Let's do. Let's go run. Number six. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now watch it. All right. So you got saved, and you learned how to have a right attitude towards sin, and you learned how to yield your rights. It's, hey, you don't have rights. You're you're purchased. He owns you. You're bought. So then you come up here to what's the fourth? What's the fourth beatitude? Hunger and thirst. H and T. If you got saved down here, you learned, this is where God is going to lead you. This is where he's taking you on your spiritual journey. Teach you to have right attitude towards sin. Yield your rights in this life. And then have a hunger and thirst after righteousness. Anybody who says they're saved and doesn't have a hunger and thirst after righteousness is fooling themselves. For they shall be filled. What's it mean to be filled? You're satisfied. I want to ask you a question. Are you satisfied? Are you filled? Is your life full? He said if you'll hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be filled. Amen. The emptiness that people are feeling in their life is because they're not hungering for righteousness. But, but Peter puts away, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And I'm going to run here on this, but I'll tell you, if you want satisfaction, you're only going to find it in Jesus Christ and in the word of God and the truth of the word of God. I'm telling you right now, this world never going to fill you. You ain't going to make enough money. You're not going to own enough land. I've got some good friends that are gun lovers, and I love them, amen. But you'd think that if I just get one more, one more gun. <laughs> i got guns too, and I love them, amen. But one more gun ain't going to fulfill my life. When I was young, I thought a, a Harley Davidson and a Corvette, man, ha, ha, ha. never. Oh, you th- Man, I, I, I could preach this all day long. Ain't going to. We got to go. Look at the next one. So you, you, you're in the Lord and you got a hunger and thirst. You start reading your Bible. You start spending time with God. Man, I tell you what, you got serious about your walk with God and the word of God. And you started growing in the Lord. So what's the next one? Number five. Oh, let's jump that one. I don't like that one. Why didn't he leave that one out? 
Blessed are the merciful for what will happen to them? They shall obtain mercy. Jesus said in that prayer, he said, if you won't forgive men, their trespasses, neither your father. That doesn't mean you lost your salvation. It means you're going to have to deal with it in judgment. You're going to forgive them now or you're going to deal with later. He said there, what was it again? This fifth one? Mercy. Now I'm going to tell you something. This is a hard one for me. It means learn how to forgive people. Anybody in here ever been hurt? Anybody in here ever been done wrong? Anybody in here ever been offended? I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't learn to forgive people, you will not grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I know it's hard, and I know you're going to have to do it 70 times 7. Right? But you've got to do it if you're going to be blessed. It's not a matter of do I like, do I feel like forgiving people? God, listen, let me tell you something. Do you remember that Joseph, he said, he, Joseph said, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. He forgave his brothers. Why? Because he saw it from a higher perspective. You meant it for evil. But oh no, God meant it for good. What about, what about Stephen? Lord, lay not this sin against their charge. What about the apostle Paul when he said, he said, Lord, lay not this. He said, uh, anyway, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In other words, don't charge. I pray that it not be laid to their charge. What about Jesus on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'm just being honest with you. We say, oh, I want to be blessed. Really? Yeah. Then we're going to start forgiving people. I want to tell you, it's not just me I have a hard time with. I want to tell you who I have a hard time with. It's some girl who grew up in a home abused by her father. I think that guy will be hung, then I'll forgive him. I want to tell you, I'll just say it for, the, for free this morning, all right? I won't take up no offering to say this. You keep your hands off your daughter. Amen. Keep your hands off your daughter. I don't even think you ought to look at your daughter's nakedness. That's right. Amen. Amen. I'm just honest with you. Keep your hands off your daughter and keep your hands off your boys. That ought not be said. By the way, just come out this week up here north in Missouri. Lady had an in-home baby care center deal. Her husband was abusing the little girls that she was bringing in. You talk about sick. I'm telling you right now, you better be glad I ain't the judge. Because I'd be the executioner. That's hard to forgive. That's hard to forgive. But Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. There's going to be a time when you and I need mercy. There's going to be a time when we do things wrong and we're going to need the mercy of Almighty God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says to us as a church, be a kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Use the God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Can I tell you something? You will not make it in church if you don't learn to forgive. He said, oh man, boy, I like this church. Boy, you've heard me preach a a time or two and you think it's wonderful. Hey, stay around here seven years. You'll find out it ain't so wonderful. You'll find out I'm made out of worse dirt than you are. Can I tell you the secret? You ain't going to make it in church unless you learn to forgive. You won't make it. And I won't make it. Well, I've got a list. I've been keeping track of all the offenses I've had done in the last 40 years. Yeah, it's a long one. You know, the best thing I can do is say, give it to God and go to bed. Amen. I will not go. I will not be blessed if I don't forgive people their trespasses as he forgave me for Christ's sake. Not because I like it. Not because I like what they did. But for Jesus' sake, I'm going to get that taken care of and grow and go on with the Lord. I'm going to be honest with you. Try to reach way down by faith and know that God is using your enemies for his ultimate sovereign eternal purposes. God's even using your husband and wife to grow you in the Lord. Now here's the next thing. All right, so we've got this growing Christian. What's number six? I'm trying to hurry. I promise you I am. Blessed are the what? All right, I want to take a canvas. How many pure in heart people we got here? But God says this, blessed are the pure in What's that talking about? Motives. Why do you do what you do? Why am I preaching? Uh, uh, this man that lost his wife and, and the baby that she was carrying and, and uh, his firstborn son in an automobile accident from up here at Fort Leonard Wood. He talks about one year uh, hearing a preacher say, you need to ask yourself at the start of the year, who am I? And what am I being, not just what am I doing? You see, our God is a pure and holy God, and He doesn't want the outward, He wants the inward to be right. Oh my, we're so wicked. Hang on to your hat a little bit, okay? 
you're being nice to your wife. Why? Why? You're being nice to your husband. Why? You kids, you're obeying mom and dad. Why? Reggie, you're preaching and you're studying and you're, why? You want people to say, man, that's a good message. Oh my goodness, I got so much out there. That was so much help to me. Be careful about saying that to anybody. You go out of here, just say, Lord, I got something out of that day and I know it was you. You might have used Reggie, but I don't know how you did, but I'm honest. Why, Why are we doing what we're doing? It would do us men good. Why are we working? Why are we earning money? Are we trying to accumulate things? I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just asking, why? If it's not for God's glory, it's all vanity. And I know some of you haven't lived long enough to figure that out yet. Because you don't get it just reading the Bible or I would have got it 30 years ago. How many knows that you can read a lot and not get it? But what is it? Bless the pure in heart for what, what, what is it they'll do? What's the blessing? They shall see God. Well, what do you mean they'll see God? They'll see God like God needs to be seen. God's pure and God's holy and God's righteous. And he ain't messing with our little subterfuge stuff. He's pure. And he wants us to be pure in heart. I'm going to show you how devastating this can be. Why do I want to see people saved and baptized? So I can go down to the conference and tell them we had 32 people saved last year and baptized. Bless God, I'm the best preacher in our country. At least in this conference. Why do we want our kids to behave? Make us look good. Bless God, I'm quite the daddy, you know. My glory or his? <laughs> Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You'll see him through, pure, through purity. The next one. What's the next one? Number seven. Oh, peacemaker. You know what that? What's this? Bless the peacemakers for what? They shall be, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Huh. What's this? You got this guy, he got saved. We'll see about it. We'll see what, how long that lasts. He gets the right attitude towards sin. Yields his right. Doesn't go around fighting and fussing with everybody all the time about everything. Demanding his way. Has a hunger and thirst after righteousness. He wants what's right according to the Bible. He has mercy on people and forgives people. Is this guy growing in the Lord or not? Yeah. In his pure heart, he's not doing it for ulterior motives. All of a sudden, God says, number seven, this is completion now. This person is really growing in the Lord, truly growing. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know what that's talking about? You are now influencing because of what you've allowed the Holy Spirit to do in you. You are now influencing people to come to Jesus Christ. Having peace with God. Peacemaker. Here's the person. Here's God. And through the good works of your life, not just your mouth, they see the Lord. And you know what the people say? Watch this. What did they say about this guy? Number seven. He's a child of God. He's a child of God. Danny, this is what bothers me. I'm preaching three mile under my living. I'm preaching three mile under my living. Because you know what? When's the last time anybody ever said about Reg Kelly, he's a child of God? Don't tell me our Lord Jesus is not the wisest being in the world. And nobody but God could pull this thing out. But God says, if you'll let me grow you in the Lord through these blessings, I will make a peacemaker out of you. And people will be turned to the Lord because of your life. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, here comes, by the way, the best of the peacemakers, they should be called children of God. That's it. That guy's a Christian. Ain't no doubt about it. He didn't say, he didn't have to tell us he was a Christian. We can see it. Now, here comes beatitude, blessing number eight. What is it? 
Blessed are they that persecuted. So you got saved. You had the right attitude for sin. You yielded your rights. Hunger and thirst after rights. Just forgive people. Pure in heart. Your motives are right. And you're influencing people to come to Christ. Oh boy, God must like me. Man, he's using me for his kingdom. Watch this now. I'm a good Christian. Boy, I've really grown a lot, Danny. God's even using me to point people to Christ and help people in their lives. I must be somebody. And then here comes blessing number eight. You know what God's going to bring into your life? What? Persecution. Now there's light persecution and there's severe persecution. Most of us experience light persecution. And that light persecution comes, God allows it to come in various ways. All of a sudden, you really thought you had your world together, and all of a sudden, crash. And burn, and down it comes. And, all, and what happens is this. Watch this. God resists the proud. God is the one who let us grow in the Lord, and now all of a sudden, we're proud about it. And we think we're something. And God has to bring persecution in our lives. But here's something that happens. Let's, let's look at it a little deeper. Look at verse number, uh, uh, number 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, not for foolishness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, here's this double blessing, when men shall revile you, persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely, not for your sake, but for his sake. Then he says, when they begin to do that, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is exceedingly great and all that. Here's a misconception that gets people. Now watch this. It's at this point, right here in this persecution, when people got it in their mind, Brother Gabe, you back there? You know, there's Sister Nicole, you're here. You made a decision, you and your husband, to serve the Lord. And you yielded a lot of things that you might could have done. Okay? I'm going to tell you in front of this congregation, get ready for persecution. We think that because we obeyed God and did what God asked us to do and, and repented in areas we need to do and get the right attitude that everybody appreciate that. And they don't. Jesus started out with huge crowds, wound up with hardly nobody at the cross. Hated by this world. You forgot that when you get to this point, the world's going to hate you. Satan's coming after you and God will allow it to break you again. Now listen to me tight. The eighth beatitude, eight is number of new beginning. Nine is number of Holy Spirit. Here's what happens many times and I'm telling you I'm not past it myself. The persecution comes and the first time this happened to me was in 1985. I surrendered to preach in 82 and in 1985 I fell, busted my brain, what brain I had, gone, (laughs) busted my head all up. Broke my wrist, broke my arm, cracked my pelvis, and I'm riding to the hospital on a board. And literally, it's like the devil straddled my chest and said, This is where serving God will get you. And my tendency was to get bitter at God. All I'm trying to do is do what you asked me to do. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to be a big shot. I'm not trying to be, I'm just trying to preach the word. I promised you, if you'd give me grace, I'd preach the Bible. And now here's what happens. The persecution comes, and listen to me, it will come. If you live, let him live through you this way. And they do what I call kick out. And several things happen. They can look up to God and say, God, if this is how it's going to be, I'm out. Danny, you ever been there? Several times. Several times. I've watched you go through cycles. I've watched people in our church go through cycles, and I wanted to reach out to them and grab them by the shoulders and say, God will take you through. Just humble yourself. Break down. Get low before God. He will take you through. It's going to be tough. You're going to wonder where God's at. But you can't do that. This is spiritual territory where only God and you and the Holy Ghost no preacher, no counselor can, expl- can explain to you what's going on. Amen. And here's what happened. 
And when you got wounded in the house of your friends, you came to work day and you worked at church and you gave and you helped and you did this and you did that and you poured your heart into the church and people in church hated you. And so you said, that's what this is about. I'm out. And that's what's all over the country. And you say, Reggie, what do I do? And I want to tell you, this is hard. Because persecution comes in ways you don't think it's going to come. It ain't somebody walking up, spitting your face and saying, I hate you, you're a Christian. And I'm going to tell you what I've had to do when I've kicked out. God's had to just, he's so merciful. And he'll say, Reggie, watch this. You need to go back where you started. I don't need to get saved over again, but I need to be bankrupt again, realizing I need him, and without him I'm nothing. And I never was nothing. And so, I come down again, and Lord, I wasn't nothing when you saved me. I ain't nothing now. Never will be nothing apart from you. And God, forgive me for my attitude. And Lord, I don't, I don't know what all's going on over here, but I'm just going to keep serving you if you'll give me grace. He gives grace to the humble. So you take off again, and now you're seeing sin is worse than, worse than you ever saw it before. And now there's other areas of life you need to, and now you've got a deeper hunger for the Word of God. By the way, some of you ain't never going to start reading the Bible until you go through all kinds of trouble. Your mind's, your mind's too far on this, that, and the other, and all that stuff. And then you're going to learn how to forgive people you didn't dream you could ever forgive. And then God's going to purify your heart. You thought it was pure, and God's going to show you ain't near as pure as you thought it was. And then God's going to use you again in the lives of other people. And then, guess what's coming? Trouble. More persecution. And then you're going to have a battle right in here. And you're going to say, Lord, how many times has this got to go on? I thought I kind of had things lined out and passed all that stuff. God said, no. And you're broke again. And you go through the cycle again. But there's a beautiful thing about it. Anybody know what it is? It's that your realm of light and salt has expanded beyond your wildest imagination. This is why Satan wants you to kick out. If he can get you stopped somewhere in here, you will never be the salt and light for Jesus Christ. You, want you listen to me. Kicking out doesn't mean you quit church even. Kicking out means you come to church and you just sit there. Down inside, you're bitter, confused, sour, cankered. And you know you need to be in church, so you're here. I'd really, 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 if I was you, I'd say, where am I at? Who am I at this start of the new year? Now, I'm going to tell you the worst of it. I, I told you I'm about, I think I'm in around seven or eight cycle. Brother John, you know what scares me to death? This is on the street. I don't agree with Jimmy Swaggart theologically. But I think he's a good preacher. He preached on a lot of things most people are afraid to preach on. When did, God, when, did the, when, when, did, when did the devil go after him the worst? Two years after he started preaching? His first year on television? When did he go after him, Josh? He went after him way down the road after he had made probably several circles and had a huge influence worldwide. And your hardest days are ahead because the greater your influence, the more he wants to take you down. Because if he can take you down after you've been have a wider sphere of influence, he will affect more people. Here's what's happening. This first day of this year, tonight, now I'm going to tell you something, tonight, after Danny preaches, we're going to dismiss. And I'm going to stay here all night. And I'm going to tell you why I'm going to stay here all night. Not because I'm spiritual. Because I need help. Amen. And I'm going to commit this first night of the year to God and say, God, I may be sleeping back in the chair. You come in, I may be sleeping. I'm like the disciples. I'll fall asleep, I know. But I need God. Worse than I've ever needed him before outside my salvation. Because personally, 
I've never experienced him trying to take me down like I have this year. Amen. Ever. And I know why. Because if he could take me down now. See, he, he wants you to go, go ahead and grow in the Lord. Yeah. Go ahead and increase your sphere of influence with people. And then you're going to wait to get up there. And then he's going to come at you with all hell. Has anybody in here seen yourself anywhere in these cycles today? It happens over and over again. I beg of you, now I'm going to be honest with you, I would not be in the pulpit today had not God allowed me to see this. Because I'd have kicked out. I, there are times to this day, I think, if this is what Christianity is about, Josh, I'm out. Is it, I, I thought we were supposed to love one another. I thought we were supposed to forbear one another. I thought we were supposed to suffer along with one another. If this is Christianity, I'm done. And when that hits you, don't you be done. You break before God Almighty and say, Lord, I didn't come to those people to get saved. And they're just like me. They're, they're sinners by nature. They're going to do stuff stupid. I'm going to do stuff stupid. Help me to forgive them and let you put me back on the cycle of growth. And Lord, give me grace as life goes on. Let's bow our heads for prayer. You may be here today and you say, Brother Reggie, I'm saved, but I tell you for sure, I'm about ready to kick out on God. Things have gotten tough, stuff I never dreamed I'd ever have to put up with. Why don't you come out of that chair the seat today and go up here before the Lord and say, Dear God in heaven, there are people already here. God bless you. You're too late to be the first ones. You saw yourself and you feel like kicking out and you feel like, Lord, the pressure, I just, I don't know. I don't know why this is happening. I don't understand it. I don't either, folks. All I know is trust God. But you say, Lord, I want help. Won't you slip out right now and come? The pianist comes to the piano and say, God, I don't, I'll tell you right now, you know what scares me is what you're going to face in 223 that you don't know you're going to have to face. And you better be getting grace for it. It's all I can tell you and I. And this year, I want God to know, I need grace, Lord. I cannot go another year without your divine grace. Maybe you're here today and you're not saved and you'd want to be saved. I tell you what, just believe on the Lord Jesus. Call on him. Say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God will save you. Amen. But I tell you, I'm preaching mostly to God's people here today. I'm preaching to people that need help. And if you ain't got anybody else to pray for, pray for this old boy. God, I need grace. I'm coming to church, Lord, but it's just like I'm just sitting there. There's no quickening power. There's no life. It's just like I'm just kind of, I go through the motions. God, I need a touch of the Holy Ghost in my life. Would you come? That's all I can do is ask you. I'm not inviting you to come to the front of this church as I am to God. Because I'm going to tell you this old preacher, he has to. I have to. I have to. No, it's not somebody spitting in your face and saying you're a Christian. I hate your guts. But it's that stuff that God will allow to happen, that Satan will inflict. And you're going to need grace. And when that happens, I'd like for you to remember January the 1st of 2023, our preacher preached on the cycle of life, and I know where I'm at. I'm at number eight, the double blessing. And I want that double blessing. And I'm going, to, I'm going to endure. I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to give up on God. I'm going to trust God in the middle of it. Grace. Grace. Oh, how we need grace. Let's stand together. Our Father in heaven, we do bow before you, Lord, this morning. And Lord, the truth is, unless you give us grace, we ain't got a hope in this world. Lord, I tell you what I pray, that you'll make us a con congregation of people, of individuals who are not only saved, but are willing to let you take us through the cycle of Christian growth, that we might be the salt and the light that you'd have us to be in this area, in this country. I pray, Heavenly Father, this morning that you help us not to kick out, not to get bitter, not to mess up, not to throw it away. But, oh, God, help us to hang to the pearl of great price. I pray, oh God, today that you'll bless these that have come 
in a very special way. When the time comes that they don't understand what's going on and they say to themselves, all I've tried to do is live for the Lord and do right, that they'll know that you, had, that you see farther than they do, that you see deeper than they do, and God, that they'll humble themselves and go right back down to their spiritual bankruptcy without Christ and realize that our life is hitting God in Christ and trust Him. God, I pray for the young people of this church. When the devil tells them it's not paying to serve God, I pray especially for the young single people of this church. I'm asking you, God, to give them divine grace. And Lord, help us in the midst of all of it to do exactly what you said, to rejoice and to be exceedingly glad. And help us to see beyond time, knowing that our reward is great in heaven earth. Help us to see eternity and not time. And Lord, we'll thank you and we'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.